0: to you there. Hello there. Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Kelly Filardo. She is a best selling author strategist, a two time TEDx speaker, and an international best selling author. Welcome, Kelly. I am so happy to have you here and I cannot wait to jump in. How are you doing today?
1: I'm so excited to be with you, Brad. So, I'm doing great.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. Like I said, I'm very excited to have you here and really looking forward to jumping in and sharing about your story and your journey. So with that being said, let's get started. I'm going to add a couple of things here to your resume. You are also Fierce Woman of the Year. You're a seven-time international best selling author. You are the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal, a YWCA Woman of Distinction and a 2022 Entrepreneur of the Year nominee. Kelly, that is one hell of an extensive and impressive resume. How long have you been a best-selling author strategist, Kelly?
1: Oh, boy. When did I write my first book? I think it was in 2010. Okay. That would be, what, 13 years ago?
0: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? 13 years ago?
1: I know. It was funny. I was on some sort of speaker website, and it said that I've been a speaker for fourteen years, and I'm like, "What? <laughs> happened so fast? It just seems like just yesterday when I started, and yeah, it's been fourteen years already. And I never thought I would get to that point where it's been that long."
0: <laughs> yeah, time flies for sure. I didn't even know there was such a career path as a best-selling author strategist. Can you talk a little bit about the work you do as a best-selling author strategist and how you ended up on this path?
1: You bet. Oh, where to start? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where to start. Basically, when I wrote my first book 14 years ago or 13 years ago, I don't know. Anyways, basically, my speaker coach at the time said, you know what, Kelly, you need to be an author. And I was like, what do you mean I need to be an author? I just don't get it. I'm thinking J.K. Rowling and Stephen King that take years and years to write a book. And I'm thinking, I don't even know where to start. And I have no idea how to write it, how to get it published, nothing. I I just didn't understand any of that process. And back then when I started, it wasn't the same as it is now. Now it's easy. It's super easy to write a book. It's super easy to get it published and get it up on Amazon. So what happened was I did write my first book and then I did find a way to get it published. There was a local girl here in my own city that was a book publisher. And so they printed it for me. And... I got it done. But then what happened was probably about five years ago, one of my mentors, he actually was the one that coached me to do a TEDx talk. His name is Corey Poirier. And Corey was the one that actually said, Kelly, you're a best-selling author strategist. What was happening is that I had a special way of doing bestseller launches that nobody else does, except for the guy that I learned from. And, and it was different than how everybody else does it. And every time I do it, I get people onto the bestseller list. So I have a 100% success rate in getting them that. And that's when Corey said, Kel, you're a bestselling author strategist. So I took on that title and said, yeah, you're right. I am. So that's how it all Excellent.
0: Goes. Beautiful. So what excites or lights you up the most about the work you do as a bestselling author strategist?
1: The thing that excites me the most about it is seeing other people get their books done it's really not about me getting my books done. It's really about when people come to me and they just know that they want to write a book or they've been told that they want to write a book or that they should write a book and they've got a story or they want to use it for business or whatever. So they come to me and say, I don't know where to start. (laughs) And basically I hold their hand and I help them develop the outline, figure out what kind of book to write and away we go. And it's just so much fun when I see that they make the bestseller list. And it just makes me so proud because every time I make that phone call and I say, guess what? You're on the bestseller list because I'm the one that's monitoring it because they don't know what to look for. And then they're like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? And I always say, you listened to what I said to do and you did it and now it works. So you're (laughs) an impact best-selling author. So it gives me a lot of great satisfaction. And pride, knowing that every time I do it with a client, at works.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of credibility when you become an author. That's a huge feather in your cap, and it goes a long way. It looks great on a resume. It helps grow and build your brand. It gives you credibility, all of the things.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And but gives people confidence when they see that resume of 100% success rate, right? and I've helped over 500 people, they're like, oh my gosh, I guess she knows her stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, this woman knows what the hell she's doing. That's right. <laughs> On the flip side of that, Kelly, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do?
1: Oh boy, that's a great question, Brad. I think one of the most challenging parts of what I do is when I run across people who are not very technical and they don't know how to type or they don't know how to get their book into a Word document, that can be some of the most challenging parts of it because there's a lot of the older generation that just doesn't want to embrace technology and they don't know how easy it can be. And so sometimes they get stuck in their own ways. And so it makes it challenging for me.
0: And so how do you help them through that then? What is your process for helping them through that when they do get stuck? Because we are so often our own worst enemy. We are our biggest hurdles.
1: We are. And basically it just means jumping on Zoom and sharing the screen and then just getting them started. And once I give them a clear plan of what to write, Then they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. So this is what you're going to do for chapter one. This is what you're going to do for chapter two. And here's the formula that you're going to use. And when they grab onto that, then they're like, okay, it doesn't have to be hard
0: you take them right through when you say handholding, you really mean handholding. Like you take them right from the very beginning of crafting their story, getting it written, right through to getting it published and helping them get on the bestsellers list. Like absolutely. It's a one-stop shop.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got one client that I'm working with right now, and that's exactly what we're doing. And he even like to put his book up on Amazon. We jump on Zoom and then we have problems. We had problems with the cover. So yes. I told him exactly what to type to give to his designer so his designer would know exactly what we need. And then I said, Okay, phone me back when you've got all that and then we'll jump <laughs> back on and let me know when Amazon approves your book or if there's any errors. Let yeah. me know what they are so we can actually you know, get it done. So I'm actually waiting to hear from him because (laughs) we should know if Amazon approves his book or not.
0: Incredible. I want to speak a little bit about you being a seven time international bestselling author was writing something that was always part of who you are, or was this a fairly new path for you? And also how does it feel for you to wear that title of the international bestselling author? Does it ever get repetitive hearing that international bestseller and Kelly in the same sentence? No,
1: that's a great question. Um, (laughs) No, I never wanted to be a writer. It was not when I was a little girl, it was not something that I thought. I want to be a best-selling author. When one of my mentors said to me, "Kel, now that you have a book, you now need to be a best-selling author." I was thinking, "Oh my gosh, how am I going to do that? That means I have to sell ten thousand books, and I don't have ten thousand friends." <laughs> and that's what I thought being a bestseller was. And it wasn't until I took her course and realized that with Amazon, you only have to get into the top one hundred of your category. And that could take five books, it could take 30 books, it could take 100 or 200. You never know yeah. until you get into the launch and you see what happens. So yeah, when I say I'm an eight-time best-selling author, I am like, wow, how incredible is that, that Thanks. I've done it this many times and I've helped so many people to become best-selling authors and people trust me. They know that I know what's going to happen and I can forecast what Amazon is going to do. And then I get blown away when they they do something different.
0: But (laughs) But you're you're a trusted source because you've done it. You've got a proven track record. Exactly. Which I'm sure is what resonates for your clients who come to you looking for your help.
1: Yeah, that's right. They have that confidence that I am going to hold their hand and I am going to walk them through every single step of the way. And even when they're nervous as heck and they think, I don't know what to do next. I said, don't worry about it because I do. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to leave you hanging right even if yeah. you don't know what that next step is just trust me because I'm going to get you through it
0: so again being a, an eight-time best-selling author and also being a best-selling author strategist obviously storytelling is a huge part of your life and a common thread that runs through it so how important a role has storytelling played in your life overall and in the healing aspect of your journey Kelly
1: What I've been noticing is that storytelling is one of the best ways to get your message across. Because I've been in the speaker world for 14 years now, I see some of the best speakers are the best storytellers. And some of the best authors are the best storytellers. And I know that when I go to a conference and I'm listening to speakers, the speakers that I believe do the best are the ones who are the best storytellers. And they're not telling made up stories. They're telling their own stories and they're being vulnerable and they're sharing that side of them that you don't always see. And so it just helps you to relate to people better when they are telling that story about something that happened to them in their lives. And I know even with myself, there's sometimes I, I look at my stories and I think, oh my gosh, how did I get through all that?
0: <laughs> I'm sure. You
1: know, and And then there's other things that happen in life. And I think, oh my gosh, that is hilarious. And at the time, it might have sounded like something crazy or stupid that I did. But when you look at it, it's really hilarious. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think we need to laugh at ourselves more than we usually do and i think when we start seeing the humor in our stories we can see the gift in it
0: yeah you're right life is short and we need to fucking lighten up and loosen up so many people take life so damn seriously and yes of course there are times when we need to be serious but there are also times when we need to lighten up be looser laugh more have more fun that's what life's about
1: i 100 percent agree with you about that. I don't believe that we are put on this earth to struggle. I believe that we are put on this earth to have fun, learn, enjoy life, laugh more. And I think we need to do more of that.
0: And tell our stories. That's a key part of it. Since we are talking about storytelling, I believe in my heart of hearts and with all of my being that every single person on this planet has a story to share. And it needs to be shared. It will. Resonate and impact with at least one person out there in the world. So I think that's part of our responsibility as human beings on this planet is to share our story.
1: Totally 100%. I I agree with you on that too. I'll never forget when I've been on stage and shared my story of getting burnt as a two year old and the challenges and stuff that I went through. And then you'll have people come up to you and it seems like nobody gets the same message. Yeah. Everybody hears a different message. And I think that is just so fascinating. And it just boils down to what's going on in your life. What struggles are you facing? And, and so that's what I think is so powerful about being a speaker and being a podcaster and being an author and sharing your story in any way that you do. Everybody's going to get a different message out of your story.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I love that you said that because I can relate to that in terms of being an artist, being a photographer. And I would imagine it's the same for you is one of the most exciting parts for me when I would create my art and exhibit and sell it at art shows. The best and most favorite part for me was hearing the people's thoughts on what they saw in the image, what that image did for them, what emotion that evoked in them, what it brought up for them. And I would imagine it's the exact same thing with when you're speaking on stage, because as you said, every single person is going to take a different message from that. So it's really incredible to see and hear the impact that your work has on people.
1: And and that's what I love about the work that you do as a photographer, because a lot of times we see ourselves as one way and then the photo sees us in a different way. Yeah. And then we sure. go, wow. And I know that's happened to me where there's been certain photographers that were even like makeup artists that will go and they want to cover my scars and I don't like it. I just don't like wearing makeup. And so I don't like it when the the girls think that they have to put all this makeup on me and and cover up my scars. And then when I go and get my photos taken, it it just feels so awkward for me. But then I've had these other photographers that are just phenomenal. And I look at the pictures and I remember this one girl in Calgary, she took some photos of me and I was blown away. I said, you know what, this photo, I truly now see my beauty.
0: Ah, there you go. And that is the most incredible part about being a photographer and being an artist is when we are able to show our clients themselves in a light that they never got to see themselves in and to see that reaction to see that transformation is just so powerful. And it's the same thing with storytelling, right? You tell your story. And then you're speaking with people after you share your story and to hear how that story impacted them to see that transformation in that person. It's just such a beautifully powerful thing. It is a gift. It truly is.
1: It is. And that's why I love the work that you do, because you know how to tell that story in the photos. And I'm sure that you get a lot of people that where you show them one photo, but you might show it to 10 different people, and then they get 10 different emotions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. From that same photo. Yeah, 100% and that's the beauty of it. Not only are you a storyteller through actually writing and being an author, but you also, as we've been talking about, tell stories through your speaking engagements and sharing your personal story through two TEDx talks you've done. you you've been featured in Goalcast video. There's a documentary about your life story as well. Can you share with us, you touched on it very briefly here. Can you share with us a bit about your personal story and journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I was two years old, we lived on a farm and my cousins were nine and 11. And my grandpa had asked them to burn the shingles from the old barn room. And they went outside and they were burning the shingles. And I wanted to be outside with my cousins. And so my mom had to make a decision whether she should let me go outside or keep me inside to change my diaper. And my mom was pregnant with my sister at the time and 21 years old. And so she decided to let me go outside. Then all of a sudden she heard some screaming and crying. And she opened up the door and saw me covered in flames.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I had walked past the burning barrel and a spark came out and landed on my dress. And then I exploded. And so, of course, there was a bucket of water by the house and they threw the water on me, put the flames out and rushed me to the hospital. And I spent four months in the hospital. Every two days, I would be in the operating room and having more surgeries. And then... Every two years, I would have to go back to the hospital for more surgeries. And that was until I was about 20 years old. And that was because they needed me to grow taller so that I would have more skin for them to work with so that they could do skin grafts on me.
0: Jesus. Now, I know through hearing your talks, kids can be so cruel and mean with their words. And you and I both know as storytellers, words have such power they have the power to hurt the power to heal the power to evoke so many different emotions and i know that you went through and of course dealt with a lot of bullying and teasing because of your appearance as a result of what your experience was what your journey was so what i would love to know first of all what helped you get through the bullying and the teasing and how did you overcome that
1: oh great question i remember one day When I was in grade five, I walked past my teacher's desk and I saw a picture that someone had drawn of me and it was a circle and it had scribbles all over it and it said Scarface at the top. And my teacher had already dealt with it so I didn't even know who did it. And at that point I knew that, oh, I guess the kids are calling me the Scarface girl. And because I was half deaf, I didn't hear a lot of it. So I honestly think that my ears getting burnt and losing more than half of my hearing. I really believe that was a protection thing for okay. me. And I think that really helped me to not hear a lot of what was going on. And so when, I, when you asked me, how did I get through it? When I was a child, I was actually rude back to people.
0: <laughs> so you're yeah. standing up for yourself.
1: Yeah, like exactly. And people would say, what happened to you? And I would say, nothing. What happened to you? (laughs) And And I came up with cute little things like that to say to people. But I think over the years, I really learned to tune it out. And I really learned not to notice that people were staring at me. And it's funny because when I go with people who have never walked down the street with me, they're the ones who notice people staring at me more than I do. I don't notice it as much anymore.
0: I guess you've gotten to the point where you're just so used to it. It's just, yeah, whatever. Okay. You look all you like, but I'm comfortable in who the fuck I am and I love me and that's all that matters. I don't give a shit what you think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll never forget This was, oh, I don't know how many years ago, probably about 15, 16 years ago. And me and my former husband, we went to a garage sale. And there was an older lady there. And she says to me, they couldn't do better than that. and Whoa. I know. And I was shocked. And I was so devastated. And I thought to myself, what do I say to this lady? She doesn't deserve nice Kelly. And I'm not mean Kelly anymore. so how do I handle this? And I looked at her and I said, I happen to think I look pretty damn good. And I turned around and walked away. And me and my husband went back into the car and he said, Kel, she didn't mean it that way. And I said, she meant it how she said it. And I was devastated. And I was thinking, what the heck? This lady doesn't even know me, doesn't know about the 40 surgeries that I've had to try and feel beautiful. And she doesn't know about all the skin grafts that I've gone through and that I got burned as a two-year-old. And she had no idea. And I thought, why am I letting a complete stranger take my power away? Not once have my kids or my family or friends ever said to me, mom or Cal, I would love you more if you were Scarlet. Not once have the people who mattered in my life ever told me that I needed to be Scarlet in order to be beautiful or in order to be loved by them. And here I was, letting a complete stranger take my power away. And I thought, that's it. I'm done with people making me feel crappy about myself because they think I'm not perfect or they think I'm not beautiful. And I'll never forget, shortly after that, I don't remember how long after that, but I read a blog by Danielle Laporte, and it gave me a list of everything to give yourself permission to do. And one of the things that it gave me permission to do was to love myself. And so I thought, okay, how do I do that? Because when I would look in the mirror as a teenager or even a young adult, you know how, Brad, people say, go in the mirror and just tell yourself how beautiful you are. And if you do it enough times, you will eventually believe it.
0: Yeah. Right? Mirror, mirror work. Yeah. It's called mirror work, right?
1: Mirror work. And I was like, yeah. Every time I looked in the mirror, that voice would say to me, yuck, there's no way you're beautiful because beautiful girls don't have scars on their bodies and don't have scars on their face. You are not beautiful. And so I thought, I have to change this dialogue. How am I going to do this? And so one day I made sure the kids were gone. I made sure my husband was gone and I locked the bedroom door and I went in my bathroom, locked that door too. And I said, Okay. And instead of saying, I am beautiful, I said, I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And I didn't hear that voice because it's true. I actually believe I have big, beautiful eyes. So I didn't hear that negative voice say anything back to me. And then I looked at my nose and I said, oh my gosh, I happen to love my cute little nose. (laughs) And again, I didn't hear that negative voice. And then I looked at my ear and my ear is not a normal ear. It's burnt. And it doesn't have the tip on it. And it's an ugly little deformed ear. Some people would say that. And right. I said, oh, my gosh, I love my cute little ear. It makes me special. It makes me different. It makes me unique. And then I looked at myself one more time. And this time I was wearing my favorite jeans. And I turned around and I looked at my butt. And I said, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I happen to love my cute little hot ass. <laughs> and... <laughs> and... You know what? I wasn't bragging about myself. I was learning to embrace myself. And so the next time I went in the mirror, I didn't see everything that was ugly about me. My scars blended in and I started to see everything I loved about me. And that's when I knew that I didn't have to be scarless. I didn't have to be perfect. I didn't have to be flawless. I just had to love all the good things that I loved about me. And that was when I learned to love myself.
0: Wow, Kelly, can I just say, (laughs) you are an incredibly beautiful human being and so inspirational. What you just shared there is so powerful. That can help so many other people who maybe not have the same situation as you where they're scarred or have been burnt or whatever, but just who are struggling with who they are that not loving themselves. That was so beautiful what you shared. And it just speaks volumes as to How incredibly resilient, strong, and courageous you are. And what a beautiful human being, woman, and soul you are. Honestly, Kelly, that I just fell in love with you. That is just so amazing. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: That is so powerful, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Just amazing how you were able to do that and face that and overcome it. And thank you for sharing that.
1: I I love it. Thank you so much. As women, and I know men do this too, but because I'm a woman, I relate to this more from the woman's perspective. There was so many times when I'd walk into a room full of women and I would compare myself and I would say, oh, I'm not as beautiful as her. Look how gorgeous she is. She's just so well put together and that dress just looks phenomenal on her and her hair is perfect. And she's skinny and she's flawless and all i was doing was also putting myself down yeah and i can promise you that when you go and you ask that woman and you tell her oh my gosh you are perfect you are the epitome of women she's gonna tell you at least five things that are wrong with her
0: yeah there's no
1: woman out there that thinks that they are the absolute most perfect woman
0: No, they may portray that on the outside as appearances, but when you get into a conversation and really dig in, you're right. And I think it is especially true for women because of, let's start with how the media portrays beauty and perfection and all of these things. And women are supposed to look a certain way and there is no such thing as perfection. And beauty is more than just skin deep. It's so much more. Than that, than appearances.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you've seen that in your own photography business. Yeah. Where some woman, she doesn't think she's very beautiful. And yet you go and you take photos of her and there's this incredible beauty about her that she just doesn't see.
0: Yeah. And then there's the
1: most incredibly beautiful women that you take photos of her and she's, ah, I don't know. I don't think that I'm that beautiful.
0: Yeah, exactly. And 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 everyone.
1: Oh my gosh, like you are one of the most beautiful women in the world. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't think so.
0: Yep, you're right. Very true. And that's one of the gifts as a photographer that I get is to see that transformation and to see that smile on a client's face when you show them those images. And it truly is a gift. And I am honored to have that opportunity to share in this kind of experience of transformation with my clients. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world to witness transformation. I get to see that unfold right before my very eyes in every single session.
1: Yeah, I think it's just beautiful being able to witness that transformation when they actually see their true beauty. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. I'll never forget when Allison in Calgary took those photos of me and I was like, wow, because I hate getting my photo taken. And A
0: lot of, most women do.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And when I've had other photographers take photos of me and I was like, I don't know, I don't really see that it's a good picture. But then there's that other picture where people, they capture that look and you're just like, oh my gosh, that is just incredible. So I love it.
0: Now, now I see it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, now I see it. Yeah, I love that.
0: <laughs> it is truly a gift to be able to show people themselves in a light that they don't see themselves in. It really is an incredible gift I, I have to say.
1: yeah, exactly. when not too long ago, me and my boyfriend were in Vegas for oh, a speaker's conference, and I was right. speaking at it and then they had a photographer there who was doing headshots and so she took some beautiful shots of me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And then she said, okay, how much do you want me to edit them? And I knew what she was asking. She yeah. was asking, do you want me to cover your scars? And I always say to them, look, don't bother covering my scars. I don't need my scars covered. Yeah. So and- They're part of
0: who you are. That's that's part of you. That's part of your story. That's part of your journey. And that's part of you.
1: Exactly. And as a child or a young adult, like when I was like 18, 19, 20, Yeah, I probably would have wanted her to Photoshop my photos and take my scars away because I was going through a phase where I wanted to know what would I look like without scars. But now, to me, it just doesn't matter whether the scars are there or not. So I I don't need my scars covered in order to see who I am.
0: Beautiful, Kelly. Again, I love this. I love this conversation. It's so important to talk about this stuff and the self-love and all of these things. And as a photographer, I don't edit images very much. I'm very light-handed with the editing because I think that why would I touch up and change or alter these images drastically? Because that's taking away who that person is. I want the women to see who they truly are. So unless someone specifically asks me to remove things like scars or I've had women ask me to liquefy. So basically digitally tummy tuck and things like that. And I hate doing it. I will only do it if I'm asked. I never ever touch up any of that stuff because that's who that person is. That's part of them. So why would I alter it? Then I'm altering them and the images don't look like them. They're not truly authentically portraying who they are
1: yeah it was interesting I had one photographer she said to me Kel can I do an experiment on you and this was probably 10 years ago or so and I said sure what have we got in mind she goes you know what because she used to be a fashion photographer and she said I would love to take your photo and then touch it up to the way that the magazines would want you to look and take off your scars and all this stuff and I was like okay I'd love to see that And so she did this photo and I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. And (sighs) I put it on Facebook and I had the before and after pictures and people said, oh my gosh, Kelly, we hate that Kelly. We don't want to (laughs) see that Kelly. Don't you ever do that. And it was just so funny because I just thought this is just crazy. And then she got a lot of backlash as a photographer for doing that.
0: Well, because and she altered remember. who you are. And I know it was only an experiment between the two of you, but the others didn't know that, right?
1: Yeah. And so it was fascinating to do that. But it was weird because I looked at the picture and I said, Oh, my gosh, that doesn't even look like me.
0: <laughs> That's, it's It's a powerful experiment, though, for sure. And especially to hear the other people's thoughts and opinions of the images and the difference. So thank you for sharing that, Kelly.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: So what was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you then from all of these experiences through the bullying, through what you went through in your journey and your story and where you are now? What has been the biggest or most valuable takeaway for you?
1: Oh my gosh, you're really making me think, Brad. (laughs) I love
0: it. I love. That's what I love to do. That's part of my job.
1: (laughs) I think that the biggest takeaway is not only just about the comparison that we need to quit comparing ourselves to other people but I think we also have to quit worrying about what everybody's thinking about us and how that came about is that I think I was about 21 years old and I went to the bar in Edmonton to meet an old friend of mine from high school and it was in West Edmonton Mall and I wanted to go home so I asked Paul to walk me back to my car And he said, yeah, absolutely, Cal. I'll walk you back to your car because it was late at night and I didn't want to walk alone. And it was a long walk back to my car. So we're walking and we see this guy coming towards us and he's staring at me and I'm upset. And I said to him, I am so sick and tired of people staring at me. And he said, Cal, he's staring at you because you're so darn cute.
0: (laughs) Ha ha. There you go.
1: And I said, oh, Paul, stop it. And he no, Kel, you are. And I began to think about that. And I thought, you know what? When I see an overweight person, I don't always think they're ugly. I look at them and I think, wow, yeah, they're overweight. But so what? They're just so beautiful. Why am I always thinking that every time somebody looks at me, I'm thinking that they think I'm ugly? Couldn't it be that these people are actually thinking something nice about me. But I never saw that because all I could see is that every time somebody was staring at me, all I thought was, oh, they think I'm ugly. I wasn't seeing that they were actually smiling. And they may have been thinking how beautiful I was. And that's the biggest takeaway that I have in life is that we are our own harshest critic. And many times women have come up to me and they've said, you know what, Kel? When I first met you, you're right. I saw your scars. I noticed them. But after about five minutes of talking to you, I don't see them anymore. And I say, why not? They're still there. Physically, the scars are still there. How can you tell me you don't see my scars anymore because they haven't physically disappeared? And I got thinking about it and I said, because they're not seeing my scars. They're seeing my smile. They're seeing my big, beautiful green eyes. They're seeing my energy, my spirit, my laugh. They're seeing all the incredible things about me. They're not seeing my ugly scars. They're seeing what's beautiful about me. And that's the truth for everybody. When we look at somebody and we talk to them, we're not seeing that they have flabby skin. We're not seeing that they've got moles on their face. We're not seeing all the ugly things about them, we're seeing the beautiful things about them. And people have to learn to stop worrying about what everybody's thinking about them. And when they stop worrying about what everybody's thinking of them, they're not going to be so critical of themselves.
0: Wow, that is powerful, Kelly. Thank you very much for sharing that. That is a great reminder for everybody. I think that is so beautiful and so powerful. Thank you for that.
1: You're very welcome.
0: It's very true. But that's a mindset shift, right? We have to get into that mindset that maybe they are looking at us and admiring our beauty, admiring something beautiful about us. It's not always the negative, but we immediately go to the negative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know that when you go to photograph somebody and they say to you, oh, I hate getting my photos taken. I just hate it. And basically, they're worrying about what everybody's thinking of them.
0: Yep. Sure. and you're
1: worried about what you're thinking of them and yeah. I know that's what I go through is when people want to take my photos I just feel so awkward when they're telling me to pose and do this and do that <laughs> and I'm like oh my gosh why am I doing that this? this is not making me feel good but when the photographer takes those photos and you just let them do their work and then it wow that is absolutely incredible
0: yeah For sure. I've had quite a few conversations as of late about self-love and the importance of it. And of course, we're talking about it now here. And the fact that everything, I believe absolutely everything starts with a foundation of self. Our relationship that we have with ourselves is hands down the most important and longest standing relationship we will ever have in our lives. So with that being said, and what you've been through personally, what are a couple of tips or takeaways that you could provide that listeners can implement immediately to start their journey into self-love?
1: One of the first things that I would say to them is to quit calling yourself names. And when you read my self-esteem doesn't come in a bottle, but that is actually the first chapter is quit calling yourself names. And when there's times when we look in the mirror and we think, yuck. I look like such a loser, or I look so old, or I look so exhausted. I don't look beautiful enough. How are you going to love yourself when all you've done first thing in the morning is picked on yourself? You would never tell your best friend all that, but yet you'll look in the mirror and tell yourself all that. And it's really quite fascinating, Brad, when I was doing some research for my first TEDx talk, which was called Ugly is Still Beautiful. And UGLY is an acronym. And I had to research, okay... Where do we learn that the mirror talk? That was my question to myself. Where do we learn? And I started thinking about it. And I thought about the movie Snow White. Mm -hmm. And in the movie Snow White, the evil queen talks to the mirror. And the mirror comes back with this big booming face and this big booming voice and talks back to her. And when you think about it, Brad, what age did you watch Snow White for the first time?
0: Oh, I was probably eight or nine, maybe, there around. Very young.
1: Yeah, but you're a boy, so you probably didn't watch it as early as some of the girls. And so what happened is when I did some research on Facebook and I put it out to my tribe and I said, okay, at what age did you watch Snow White for the first time? Guess what the youngest age was?
0: I'm going to say probably three or four.
1: Absolutely. Three years old. So at three (laughs) years old, People are learning that the mirror talks to them. And so when you think about that, that at three years old, we watch Snow White and we see this evil queen talking and the mirror talks back, what do you think we're teaching our kids? We're teaching our exactly. kids that the mirror talks.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: the other reason I know that it's that age is because I have a set of twin boys and they're identical. so. Okay. When they were little, I used to wonder, okay, when the boys look in the mirror, do they think, know it's themselves they're looking at, or do they think it's their twin brother that they're seeing in the mirror? And I thought about that, and I said, okay, what what do they think when they're looking in the mirror? And so one morning, I woke up, and I can hear this laughter like throughout my house. I was like, what the heck is he laughing about? (laughs) So I find him and he's in the bathroom. He's probably between two and three years old at the time. And he's standing on the bathroom counter. He's pointing at the mirror and he's laughing. And he said, (laughs) mom, look, Cody's laughing at me. (laughs) His brother. And so it was like, oh my gosh, I just figured it out. He thinks it's his brother in his mirror. He doesn't think it's himself. And here he is, between two and three years old, thinking that the mirror talks. And that's when I figured it out. That's where young girls, young boys learn that the mirror talks, is when they watch Snow White and they see the evil queen talking to the mirror.
0: That's a powerful realization, for sure. I never would have thought about that aspect of it. Never in a million years would I have ever thought about that.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: Conditioned.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was like, when I researched it, I think it was like 85% of the people that responded to my question had watched Snow White under the age of six.
0: Wow. Holy shit. So they're learning
1: at under six years old. When they look in the mirror, that voice that they hear is the mirror talking. It's not, they don't understand that voice can be changed
0: exactly because and that's been so ingrained because it's it starts from such a very young age
1: exactly and little girls or and little boys they they watch their moms go in the mirror and put makeup on yeah and they're learning that in order to be beautiful they need to put makeup on yeah. not all kids but a lot of kids that's what yep. they're learning they learn by watching their moms, and they're learning that i think my mom is beautiful Why is she putting makeup on? So it's fascinating.
0: It is for sure. Kelly, what does self-love mean to you?
1: Oh my gosh. Another great question. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. I guess self-love means to me that you love and accept yourself for who you are and that you don't feel that you have to have surgery to be beautiful. And you can look at yourself and say, wow, that's me. And a lot of times the reason women and men too don't love themselves is because of what they're doing to themselves in their lives. So about, uh, I think, nine years ago, I worked with a coach and she said to me, Kel, go look in the mirror. And I said, I can't. And she said, why not? I said, I can't. I was a single mom at that time. And she goes, no, go look at yourself in the mirror. And I said, no, I can't. And at that time, I was being very disrespectful to myself. And I had slept with a married man at that time. And I couldn't look myself in the mirror. And when you think about self-love, a lot of times the reason people can't love themselves is not because of what they look like on the outside. It's because what are they doing on the inside? Are they cheating on their spouse? Are they gambling their money away? Are they overeating and lying, right? A gambler... She's lying to her friends and family about where she's spending her money and where she's spending her time. And she feels guilty because maybe she's not home for her kid. Someone who is doing prescription drugs, they're lying to their family and they're saying, Oh no, I'm not doing it. I'm off the drugs. I'm not taking any more medications. And then yet they go and they take the pills. Or someone who's on crack or doing cocaine and their family is saying to them, Are you being good? Are you staying off the cocaine? Oh, yeah, I am. And yet they're still doing it. And same with the alcoholic. And same with anybody that is doing something that they're being disloyal to themselves. And when she asked me to look in the mirror and I told her that, I couldn't love me at that point. Because I knew that I was being disrespectful to myself. And how do you love yourself when you're lying to yourself? And it was the same thing when I was married. I couldn't love myself because I was telling myself two lies. One, that I loved my husband. I didn't. And that I loved my job. I didn't. I didn't love my job. I hated my job. I was bored. I didn't love my husband. But yet I stayed because I had the kids. And because I was taught that a mother should never leave her kids. Because if she leaves her kids, she's a bad mom she's a bad person. You should never leave your kids. But yet I stayed in that toxic marriage for 24 years. And so when I looked in the mirror, I couldn't love who I was because I was lying to myself.
0: Wow. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead, Kelly.
1: But that's the biggest reason people can't love themselves is because they're lying to themselves.
0: What an incredible insight holy shit you're dropping truth bombs all over the place today kelly
1: (laughs) i know you're really digging them out of me i
0: love it this is phenomenal though this is what great conversations are all about and this is an incredibly inspiring and insightful conversation so thank you for all your truth bombs there's so many mic drop moments here it's like holy shit (laughs) kelly
1: I'm giving you the credit because you're asking all the questions that are getting it out of me. So thank you. for. Yeah,
0: but you're providing the insight. So (laughs) it's the mutual admiration society here today. (laughs) (laughs) I want to speak a little bit about your journey into the world of being a TEDx speaker now. Now, of course, this is a dream for a lot of people out there. Was this something that was a bucket list item for you, Kelly?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I knew that if I could get on that TEDx stage, that meant I had reached a certain level in my career. And there was many times I wanted to do it. And I was invited. Like at one point, you had to actually be invited to okay. apply to be on the TEDx stage. And I was invited. Wow. And they asked me, okay, where's your application? And I went to do my application and I couldn't do it. And I thought, why? And I realized I wasn't ready. And then I put it out there. I said, you know what? I want to do a TEDx talk. And so one of my acquaintances at the time said, Kel, I know a guy that teaches people. Do you want to be introduced to him? And that was Corey Poirier.
0: Corey, yeah.
1: (laughs) And I said, yeah, absolutely. I want to be introduced to him. So I signed up for his program. I didn't have enough money for it, but he let me make payments. And I started taking it. And in the first module, it says, put it out on your social media that you want to do a topic about such and such. And at the time, I wanted to do a topic about Me Too from the mom's perspective of boys. What had happened is that both of my sons had been violated by girls at 15 years old. And I wanted to be able to share the mom's perspective. And this is when the Me Too topic was really hot. And so I put it out on Facebook and I said, hey, by the way, I'm thinking about doing a topic about the Me Too perspective from the mom's perspective where her boys have been violated by young girls. What do you think? And a few people said, oh, my God, that sounds like a great topic. But a couple of my mentors said, Kel, don't do it. That topic is either going to make or break your career. And then good chance it could break your career. If you don't tell that story in the right way, it could break your career. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to do that topic. So then I came up with a topic, I think about a week later. No, not a week later. I think it was just a day later. I said, okay, I want to do a topic. And the theme of this TEDx is unprovable, unsolvable problems. And I said, okay, I want to prove that ugly can actually be a beautiful word. And ugly as an acronym. And everybody just jumped on it. Oh, my God, that is <laughs> a great idea. And maybe you should change the wording, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't going to change the wording. I knew what I wanted it to be. And then what had happened is one of my Facebook friends jumped on and said, Kelt, I just got my TEDx license. I want you on my stage. You don't even have to try out. You're in.
0: <laughs> Incredible.
1: Incredible. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I guess I'm in. And so I did two TEDx that year in, I think, six months.
0: Two in six months. Holy shit.
1: Yeah. It was just crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And it was the most difficult talk I've ever done in my life because it had to be really structured. And that's when I led my talk with the whole Snow White story and how we learned that the mirror talk and took him through that journey. But uh, yeah, it was the, the hardest talk I've ever done in my life.
0: I'm sure. And so, what was the second talk then? Did you go with the Me Too thing from a mother's no, perspective of two boys? Okay. So, what no, was the second I talk?
1: I wanted to stay away from it because I wasn't sure about it. Okay. I wasn't sure I could pull it off. Yeah. And I also believed that no matter what my intentions were, that somebody or many people would twist it around and make it mean something different. And I didn't want that to happen to me. Not at that point in my career, because I was still trying to expand my business and and reach. So I didn't want to go that route. So my second talk was called The Reflection of You. And that was where I talked about how we have different personalities we have compassionate Kelly, we have self-sabotage Kelly, we have determined Kelly, we have bitch Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch Kelly was reserved for the ex-husband at the time because we were going through a nasty (laughs) divorce. And and how each of those Kellys have to work together. And sometimes when self-sabotage Kelly is out, Determined Kelly gets really mad at her because she's get your shit together. Get off that couch and do what we need to do to accomplish our dreams. And then we have compassionate Kelly that will say to determined Kelly, okay, it's stop it. You don't have to work 14 days in a row. It's okay to take Tuesday off. You just did 14 days. And she has to tell determine Kelly when it's okay to to have some compassion for herself and not be so hard on herself. And then there's hilarious Kelly, who sees the humor and things. And she's the one that will jump in the middle of the talk and say some crazy thing that could get her in trouble. So here's the sad part about that talk, Brad. I was disqualified. Really? It was. Yeah. That talk is not on YouTube. Wow. I was disqualified. And I was absolutely shocked because I I went to Dallas to do that talk. And when I landed back in Canada, I was checking my emails while I was waiting for my luggage to come. And I got this big, long email with a, a whole bunch of reasons of why they were disqualifying me. And I remember phoning Corey from the airport and saying, Corey, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. They disqualified me. And I told him what had happened and everything. And he had to talk me off the ledge for about two hours. The next day we talked and him and his girlfriend were like, hell, we'll get through this. You're still a multiple TEDx talker. You still did it. Exactly. And I was shocked and devastated. And I felt like my career was over as a speaker. And he said, no, your your career is not over. You are still a TEDx talker and you still have a great message and it sounds like the organizer just had it out for you and let's see what we can do to help you with that
0: that's amazing and (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that and that just speaks to who Corey is Corey is such an amazing human being I am so grateful to be connected to him and to know him he's a wonderful human being and I know you know this you are connected with him as well obviously so
1: yeah exactly. yeah I agree he is a beautiful soul
0: He is, for sure. Now, I want to speak a little bit about your awards that you've received, your accolades. You were the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal. You've also been named the YWCA Woman of Distinction, which is another huge honor and feather in your cap. Can you talk a bit about these awards and what do these accolades mean to you?
1: It's really interesting because when I won the medal from the Queen, I actually had to get my daughter to accept it. Because I was speaking to a bunch of women, and I was out of town. I still remember my brother-in-law saying to me, Kel, what are you doing? <laughs> you you have to cancel that speaking gig and go accept your award, your medal. And yes. I was like, no, I can't. I've got three kids to feed. This is $3,500 in my pocket. No, this is paying my bills for the month. Alex can go and accept my award, and I'll go speak and make some money. And... <laughs> He was shocked. And then, same when I won the White WCA Woman of Distinction, my friend had nominated me. And I didn't know if I was going to win or not. But what had happened is a year earlier, I had been asked to speak for free in Toronto to a group of battered women. And they had me booked. And I wasn't being paid for it. I just knew that I had to go and speak. And it was something I wanted to do for the charity and to help all these women. And I wanted to share a story of something that had happened to me. And my friend who nominated me, she says, Kel, you have to be at this award ceremony. You have to cancel that. They're not even paying you to be there. You need to cancel it. And I said, no, I don't need to cancel it. (laughs) I need to go and speak to those women. There's no other Kelly Filardo that can tell that story. And they hired me a year ago. I'm not canceling it. And sure enough, I won that award. Wow. And it was just so fascinating because I didn't really appreciate it when I won it. Because to me, it was more important to go and share my message and help those women than it was for me to accept an award for the work that I was doing. Because I didn't see it as work. And I didn't also see it as being inspirational. I just thought hey, this is what God put me on this earth to do, and I'm going to go do it. And when, especially when there was also money involved, I'm like, yeah, this is my bread and butter. I'm a single mom with three kids. I'm bringing that track home, because if I cancel on them, I'm going to be the one in trouble. My speaking bureau that hired me is going to be mad at me, and when they want me there, there's nobody else that has my story.
0: Yeah, so very true.
1: Yeah, so I found it really fascinating, and I'll never forget, my best friend at the time phoning me and saying, so Kel, what does it feel like to win these awards? And I said, it was actually more important for me to be in Toronto speaking to those battered women.
0: That speaks volumes. That speaks huge volumes. And and she
1: she was right. It felt better for me to go and speak than it did for me to accept an award for myself.
0: The mission and the message is more important. Mm -hmm. The awards, you will undoubtedly get more awards and like you said, if you cancel the speaking gigs, that reflects poorly upon you. And who knows how that will affect your speaking career. So yeah. There you go. Kelly, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: Oh, my goodness. My superpower is to never quit. Love it. And- there was so many times that I wanted to quit. And I'll never forget, I think it was about nine years ago, probably 10. Anyways, when I wanted to leave my marriage, my husband said I couldn't leave unless I gave him the house and the kids. And I said, okay. And I didn't want the house because I couldn't afford it. And I moved in with my aunt and uncle. And I still saw the kids every day because every day... Yeah. Of- thirty, he would go to work and I would go to the house to get the kids off to school and I'd be there for when they got home. And then what happened was two years later, my family all said, "Cal, you need to get your own place. You can't live in your aunt's basement anymore. And we didn't have Wi-Fi. And of course the kids need Wi-Fi and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and every day I'd be in Starbucks working away on my speaking career and writing books and all that. And so I finally got my own place And then my husband started the divorce proceedings and the custody changed. And I only got to see my kids every second week for one week at a time. We did one week on, one week off. And then one of my dear friends committed suicide. And then I got into a car accident with a guy that I worked with. And then I had no speaking gigs. And I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to make money? And so I had to take a part-time job. And I had no money. My credit cards were a max. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I remember sitting on the floor at the end of my bed and I had my iPad and I was Googling how to end my life. Wow. And I had three conditions. One was my kids couldn't be the ones to find me because I felt if they found me, that would just ruin their lives and they would blame themselves for me committing suicide. And then I thought it had to also be painless. I didn't want to feel any pain if I was going to do it. And then the third thing was it had to be final. And the reason it had to be final is because I know of people who, how they get burnt is by pouring gasoline on themselves and lighting themselves on fire. And then they live. And now they not only have those mental issues to deal with, they also have physical issues to deal with. And so it had to be final. There was no way that I would want to live through it or live through more heartache. And I got thinking about it and I thought, oh my gosh, my mom would blame herself for me and in my life. My mom would think she didn't do enough. And then I thought about my sister and my sister would say, if Kelly needed money, why didn't she just come to me? Because they're millionaires. We could have given her whatever money she needed. My ex-husband, he would have blamed himself and he would have said, if only I didn't have that fight with her last night, maybe she'd still be alive. And Take I your time. thought, how could I do that to my family? My best friends would say, why didn't she just talk to me? Yeah. I helped her through it. And so I thought, what am I going to do? What do I need to do to get through this? And I thought, I just need to do one thing. And every day I just did one thing. Even if I just did one thing and went back to bed, it didn't matter. But I just had to do one thing. So one day I signed up to listen to this speaker. And one of the bonus gifts was a coaching call. And this lady says to me, Kelly, I'm going to coach you. She said, normally I am $20,000 a year to coach with, but I need to help you get through this. And I believe that I'm the person to help you. And I'm going to coach you for an hour a day for three three days a week. And we're going to get you through this and we did this for, it seemed like three months. And she was the one that actually told me to go look in the mirror. And I think it was about a month or two into our coaching. And one day she said to me, Kelly, why don't you value yourself? And I said, what do you mean? I value myself. I am a speaker, right? Like my ego spoke out. And I said, I'm a speaker. And I go to schools and I teach people how to value, how to love who they are and to stop bullying and teasing each other. And and I speak to women and I encourage them to learn how to love who they are and stop worrying about what everybody's thinking of them and comparing themselves to others. I value myself. And she said, No, you don't. She said, I think the reason you don't value yourself is because you're not making the money you want to make. And oh. oh my gosh, that question hit me right to my core because she was right. I had set a goal three years in a row to make a six figure income and I hadn't met that goal. And she said, Kelly, don't call me back until you know what value is. And wow. I said, what do you mean? if value is not money, what is value? Because in my family, I'm the only one of my siblings that isn't a millionaire and I'm the oldest. Yeah. And I was taught the oldest is the one who's supposed to look after all the younger siblings. It's not the youngest siblings that are supposed to look after me. It's the oldest is supposed to look after the younger ones. And so I was feeling horrible that my sister was having to look after me. And so I wrote down and I thought about it. I thought, what is value? And I wrote down pages and pages of all these things I had done. Like I had been to Africa and my book is being used to teach kids in Africa about self-esteem. I reconnected a high school buddy to his family. They thought he was dead because he was an alcoholic and they hadn't seen him in 23 years. And I taught a friend of mine, one of my co-authors, how to become a best-selling author. And now he was writing books and he was coaching people to write books. And now all these people are getting their stories out there. And I wrote all these things down and I wrote it in third person and I emailed it to my coach. And then I read it the next day. And I said to myself, who is this trick? I've got to know her. And that trick was me. (laughs) But I didn't see any value in myself until I read that list. And then I got on a call with my coach and she said, I think you finally get it. Your value is not in how much money you make or don't make. Your value is in your acts of service and the things that you do to help other people. And that's where your value is.
0: What a powerful story. And thank you so much, Kelly, for your vulnerability and for sharing all of that. That was incredibly beautiful and so raw and real and authentic so thank you for that kelly
1: oh you're very welcome
0: what does the word empowerment mean to you empower empowerment
1: empowerment another excellent question of course bad (laughs) (laughs) you are really making me think today (laughs) (laughs) and i love it because that's one of the reasons that i actually love doing podcast interviews is because i never know what people are going to surprise me with (laughs) And I know you sent me some questions, but I glanced over them and and got back to work. So I think empowerment means to me is learning to love who you are and seeing your value in yourself and also seeing value in other people and sharing those gifts. So many times we will see our life as full of tragedy. And we'll see all the things that we do wrong or did wrong. And we look back at our lives and we think about all the decisions we made that were wrong and that maybe we could have changed. And then we think, what are you going to do? There's nothing we can do. We can't change the path. And so empowerment means to me is that we take those decisions and we take those lessons or life situations that we have and we see the lessons in them. And the reason this means so much to me is because I'm actually going through this with my son. And my son is living in the past and he's pointing out all the things I did wrong as a mom. And he's living in the past. And so I wrote him a letter. And it's actually one of the reasons that I didn't get up until half an hour before our interview. <laughs> I was like four in the morning writing a seven-page letter to him. And I pointed out all the lessons that I was hoping he would have learned about some of the things that I did or that he did. Because what happens is that a lot of times we get into that pity party about ourselves and we see all the things we did wrong. And I have this one, one of my best friends, and I'll never forget when I was signing my divorce papers and I came home and I was crying my eyes out. And I cried for about a day and a half. And so my best friend said to me, are you ready to get out of your poopy diaper? And I was like, what? <laughs> and she, do you want to stay in your poopy diaper or do you want to get out of it? And I said, I think I'm ready to finally get out of it. Because there's times when it's like you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're just like, I don't want to get out of my poopy diaper. I want to cry and I want to feel sorry for myself. And she's, okay, Kelly, let's get you out of your poopy diaper. And she asked me some questions and she asked me six questions. And I finally just got out of my poopy diaper and I realized that things don't happen to us. They happen for us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's an important realization.
1: It is. And that to me is empowerment.
0: Love it. That
1: is when we see ourselves in a whole different way and we take personal responsibility and personal accountability for our actions and what we've done. And we see where we could, where we could have improved ourselves and done better. And then I also believe empowerment is when we celebrate other people and we celebrate their accomplishments. And like, for example, even last night, I was scrolling around on Facebook and I saw one of my competitors who lives three hours away from me and she's launching a new program. And I was like, wow, good on her. That's awesome. I love that. That's what she's doing. And her and I have talked about what we do and we both do very similar things, but we also know that there's room for both of us and there's enough money in this world for both of us. And there's a spot in this world for both of us and we don't need to be angry competitors at each other. We can be friendly competitors.
0: Yeah, for sure. for sure. And that's
1: okay. It's okay to be friendly competitors. And and I love that, that celebrate each other and who we are and what we do and how we help other people.
0: That's what it's all about. That's what we're all here for, just to support, lift, help, and cheerlead each other. Thank you for sharing those reflections, Kelly.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Just love themselves.
0: What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Memories. How would you describe yourself in one word?
1: An overcomer.
0: What is your favorite self-care practice?
1: My favorite self-care practice? Yep. Hmm. I don't know. (laughs) That's, oh, interesting, because that shows to me that I don't practice enough self-care. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy, that's a tough one. You know what? I'm going to say have a bath. (laughs)
0: Okay. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be?
1: One who persevered in life.
0: (laughs) What is your personal motto?
1: Dreams are meant to be found, not tucked away in dreamland, which is a quote that I came up with in my first book.
0: That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance?
1: I love how I can make people laugh.
0: If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: The first one that that popped to mind is Oprah.
0: Okay. And why Oprah?
1: I think because I've seen her do something that I think are racist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, and I'd love to ask her why she did what she did. And what it was is when Omarosa came out from mm-hmm. Donald Trump's show, and she had Omarosa, the black lady, on stage with her, and she had their two white women in the audience, the two white women that she was talking about. So, why okay. didn't they get to be on stage with Omarosa and her?
0: Kelly, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Never give up.
0: Lastly, Kelly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: I think the, the last 30 seconds would be that, yeah, life is full of challenges. We all have to face challenges, but those challenges, it's a choice whether you see them as A tragedy or you see them as a gift and you have a choice whether you want to see your life as full of doom and gloom or whether you want to see your life as full of possibilities and I want to see my life as full of possibilities and we can just let go of the doom and gloom yeah there's going to be doom and gloom in their life but what else is there and it's a whole lot more fun in life, when you can start seeing that your life is full of possibilities. And that's what I believe life is all about.
0: Beautiful way to end the interview. Kelly, thank you so very much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. This was an absolutely insightful, inspirational and beautiful conversation. Thank you for sharing your vulnerability. Thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for sharing your very valuable insights. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and I am honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. Thank you for all that you are doing and for shining that bright, beautiful light of yours out into the world.
1: You are very welcome, Brad. You have been a phenomenal host. And I think this is actually the longest interview I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) I loved every minute of it. And I just can't wait to meet you in person and give you a hug. And someday I would love to see you and I do something together to help women see their true beauty and teenagers.
0: Absolutely. We can make that happen for sure. I would love that. I think it'd be beautiful. it would Kelly thank you so much I hope you have an amazing rest of the day thank you for being here today once again this is Brad Walsh host of your Empowerography podcast today my guest has been Kelly Filardo she is a best-selling author strategist a two-time TEDx speaker an eight-time international best-selling author and the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal and a YWCA woman of distinction thank you so much Kelly I hope you have an amazing rest of the day